Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two-Headed Game Master. I'm Cosmo, the first head. I'm Dane, the head with the ice cube. It's hot. I wish I had a yeah, ice cube. I wish we were ice cubes. It's hot in our recording space right now. Um, Two-Headed Game Master is a podcast about writing, designing, running, and playing role-playing games. We discuss our favorite hobbies, share our thoughts with you, and play some games sometimes. Cosmo, what will we be discussing today? Well, Dane, today we're going to be talking about one of the biggest and, you know, I guess loudest buzzwords in tabletop role-playing. And that is metagaming. So, yeah, metagaming. Everyone, everyone talks about it. Even if you don't play very much, you just started, you probably heard about the idea. Um, we're going to talk about just like the idea of metagaming and our thoughts about it. We have an example from uh, some, some play that we did a while ago and how metagaming came up in kind of a big way. And what was, uh, what was done about it. But generally speaking... Well, let's, That's, let's start yeah. with what is metagame yeah. real quick, right? For let's talk about that idea. Who have maybe heard the term, but don't really understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, metagaming. It is the concept of using information outside the game, like what you know as a player, to influence your choices in the game. Like if your you know, uh, party is split, for example, and a sneaky stealth rogue takes a peek in the room and sees six bad guys waiting by the door where you were just going to walk in that door, but then, oh, now I know there's bad guys behind it. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's metagaming there. Yeah. Two characters. That's generally, um, that's generally the answer you see. Fairly astute and simple, I would say. Metagaming is the difference between what your players, or what you as a player know, and what your character in the game would know, and then you know using information that your character wouldn't have to make in-game decisions. And that's, yeah, I, I would say mostly I agree with that definition. That seems like what it is for the most part. Um, but something that we're going to get into is, you know, there, there's, there's a bigger idea. Or there's, there's like another layer to the idea. Um, and if any of you are interested, uh, a lot of my thoughts on this come from uh, Matthew Colville on YouTube. He's a famous dungeon master. He has a very good YouTube video about metagaming. Um, so, you know, if you like this, you want to hear more about it, you want to hear someone with a lot more experience talk about the idea. Um, he, he lays it out pretty clean. Uh, but we're going to talk about the idea of metagaming, we're going to talk about an example of metagaming, and we're going to talk about how it went down for us, and kind of some ways about how to uh, how to handle it when it comes up for you. And also, like, kind of take some of the stigma out of the word, because, like, it's a big no-no, right? That's that's conventional wisdom. We think that's kind of wrong. Metagaming in the right situation yeah. can be a really good thing. Definitely worth mentioning that the general um, the connotation of metagaming is is overwhelmingly negative. But sometimes it's impossible to avoid, 
And it's not always a bad thing, and that comes down to this, you know, this other idea that's kind of layered yeah. into it. It's more about how you deal with it because mm-hmm. it it is impossible to avoid sometimes. So you're gonna, as a player or a game master, there's gonna come a time where there's some metagaming happening. Mm-hmm. That's what the podcast episode is about today. Yeah. Well, let's get into the example. Yeah. Example. So I'm I'm pretty excited to talk about this because we don't record all of our gameplay sessions, um, but you know we have some pretty cool stuff with our regular group that you know is never going to make it to the internet. And we just play for fun, but this is an opportunity to talk about it. Uh, I was running a while ago. I think two two adventures ago with our normal group. I was running an adventure in the Eclipse Engine, our original uh, gaming system, available for free. For free, to hgm.com. Mm-hmm. We'll I tell you that again it. later. Yeah. Uh, I was running an adventure using that system that was uh, heavily inspired by the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game and, and very much you know borrowing from the setting. It was a sort of like pulp adventure cosmic horror thing about cults and like otherworldly entities and the the player party were a, a group of kind of unwitting investigators who you know got wrapped up in something. Um, we called it we called it spooky down under because it was sort of a it was sort of a western but it was set in Australia. Australia. Which was, you know, a lot of fun for goony accents in in role playing. Uh, but basically, what happened was my players were a group of people who, um, you know, didn't have anything to do with each other at first, and for whatever their separate reasons, they all agreed to pursue this bounty that uh, one of the like, you know, state trooper constables came into the bar and was like, "Hey, I need everyone's help with this," and they got wrapped up in a cult with. Uh, you know, with a bad guy and murderous thugs trying to do some nefarious evil rituals. And they they had to investigate it and stop it. Also, I don't think you mentioned it was it was in that late 1800s. Yeah, I, I said it was like a Western, but yeah. So, you know, set in a, it was a period piece in, in South Australia, which was just a real fun thing to explore. And, you know learn some stuff that I didn't know about a period in history and a location that I've never been to, but seems pretty cool. Um, anyway, something that we do fairly frequently is, you know, when we have a need, we like to bring in, you know, new people to our games or, you know, uh, introduce, uh, introduce characters who maybe only are around for one session, but gives other players an, uh, an opportunity to join us. In this case, it was my brother Enzo, who faithful listeners will recall as a guest and dungeon master, game master of uh, mm-hmm. his spooky western that he did. Of the time vein. Yeah. Also, uh, you know, speak of the devil and thou shalt, or whatever the saying is. Enzo just He'll fucking show up. I <laughs> uh, just got a text from Enzo. Anyways, uh... Yes, so Enzo didn't start um, mm. because he was doing his job. Mm, he was away doing work, but he came back for the season, and it happened to coincide with the last, uh, was it two sessions or just one? 
Uh, I think it was two. I think it was two. It was the last two sessions of this Spooky Down Under adventure where um, Dane and the rest of the players who had you know been dealing with this cult for a while had kind of tracked them down and infiltrated, and they were going to uh, they were going to this rich professor's house in Perth or. I think Perth. <laughs> I don't know. You wrote it, man. I did write it, but now I can't remember the map. Um, <laughs> whatever it is in Australia. Uh, and we were like, "Well, we need to bring Enzo in. He hasn't been with the party for a while. We need to, you know, give him a thing to do." And so I, I worked with him to create a character. This was, you know, off screen for the players. They didn't know the work that I had done with Enzo about who his character was going to be and how he was going to join the event, but. How it played out is Enzo was a employee of the uh, the main bad guy, the cult master, who you know was betraying his master and you know like working as a spy and a double agent to help the investigators get in there and you know stop what was going on. Um, so in doing that, they like ambushed another cult member. They stole their identities and uniforms and stuff, and you know snuck in. And Enzo was there to kind of be their contact on the inside. But the twist was that he was always evil. He was just, you know, playing his part super well to bring in the element that the bad guys knew were trying to stop them. And... Well, it was... You know. He was uh, the familiar, right, of the vampire? That's true. There were sort of two bad guys going on. So, like, one bad guy was the main bad guy, and he had a uh, he had another bad guy working for him, and Enzo was this, like, vampire character's familiar. So they were trying to double-cross the main bad guy, but they also knew that the players classic, weren't, you know. Classic uh, Darth Vader, uh, the Emperor kind of style. yeah. Where, oh, Darth Vader's the main bad guy, right? Yeah. Well, there's actually a guy kind of behind him who's the bad or bad. Right. There was a scary vampire that chased the party around for a while. He was really mad at the party. Enzo shows up as this character who's, you know, says he's like the man on the inside and he's going to help him out. Um, and, yeah, so that's, that's how it's set up. And it played out really fun because... As the party was trying to, you know, investigate and, you know, like attend this fancy dinner and sneak around the manor of this of this rich bad guy, Enzo was there, sort of helping him out, sort of helping out the party, but also up to his own stuff. And tying this back into the concept and, and the focus of this episode, there was an issue of metagaming that came up because at some point... Enzo had to tip his hand in gameplay. Well, let's go back to how did you guys keep it, like, secretive for as long as you could? Because you did. Yes. So, I mean, this is just some general good advice. We communicated outside of the normal, like, group text chain. And when he was here, we communicated in person without other people around. During gameplay, we texted and I would pass notes to players. And I think that's something you should do all the time because, you know, Sometimes players do stuff. Sometimes they, they roll to find something or they roll a perception, and they're the only ones who know something. So, you know, I a think, great I think way to do that. I think we talked a little bit uh, about that in our handouts episode a while back, uh, giving notes to players, because, uh, you know, sometimes it's fun to give a little secret. Yeah. Um, so that's that's how I was doing it most of the time. So I knew who Enzo was, and I knew what he was trying to do. 
And sometimes he would uh, pass me notes about stuff that he was trying to do that needed to be, like, kept from the party. So I would, like, you know, do a little... Uh, try and be us, uh, un- uh, try and be discreet about it. That's the word. Um, I would try and be discreet about it, you know, roll, tell him how it went down and let him do the stuff. Cause sometimes he wasn't with the party, but we were all in the same room and that's kind of the issue. Um, and so eventually there became, there came up an issue of metagaming because, Eventually, he had to sort of play his hand or try to, and there's no amount of, like, passing notes or, like, taking one player aside that will completely keep everything secret, because even then, eventually, you get into metagaming territory. If I take someone out of the room to tell them something, you know, you know there's stuff going on, and, like, generally speaking, players will be suspicious on behalf of their characters about anything. Mm Mm-hmm. So, we communicated stealthily, we tried to keep it secret, it mostly worked, I feel like, but then eventually he got to the point where he had to make an act. He had to, you know, he had to tip his hand in gameplay, and an interesting thing happened, because it didn't quite work, and now we step into an issue of metagaming. What didn't quite work about it? Well, what so happened? all right. So from from my perspective, yeah, because it it directly pertained to right. Dane's character. So, so not have him any tell of the, this, like yeah. you know, they were talking, you know, off the group chain and like when they were alone in the room making out together. Um, so I had no idea that Enzo was evil, uh, and then like this was the moment where and like so I I do have some questions about this. So mm. at this fancy mansion. Uh, of course, we're investigating it a little bit. So, me, another player, and Enzo's character go to investigate. Uh, yes, please, mate. Need to wet my whistle before I talk about this. Get that big old whistle nice and wet. So, um, right, uh, my character, Nigel Bruce the Third. Uh, went investigating the grounds of this spooky mansion of this cult. And, of course, we go to the graveyard, the crypts, right? Uh, And we're trying to open the crypt, which was the, like, vampire's lair. Yes. Um, And that wasn't... That's why... It didn't quite work out. You guys didn't, like, break in and find it. But Mm -hmm. uh, in a previous session, they'd blown up the vampire with, with, like, a silver grenade. Um, and the vampire was in recovery. They didn't know this, but that's why they were dealing with Enzo because the vampire was like really pissed off and recovering and had sent his familiar out to, you know, try and arrange a situation where he could get revenge. And they were also trying to double cross their boss. Who's the like cult wizard guy. So I'm assuming that Enzo didn't want us to find his wounded master. Mm -hmm. So when we... Go get to the graveyard and start investigating. Enzo stabs me with a poison dart mm-hmm. um, as part of his character. It was a dart or was it a knife? I don't know. And what I guess I said it didn't work. He stabbed me all right. Basically, it worked perfectly. And of course, you know, because, you know, he declares to the group, I stabbed Dane with, a, I stabbed Nigel with mm-hmm. a poison dart. 
And then I say, do I notice? Yeah. Immediately. And that was the thing. So, like, we could have done it. We could have done it a little more tactfully. I would say Enzo could have done it a little more tactfully. And I could have just described the results. Like, you know, oh, Dane, now you feel sick suddenly. You feel like you're getting woozy. And maybe they would have thought there was just, like, an enchantment on the area that made it hard to, you know, uh, trespass or something. But Enzo declared what his action was in in full view of the party. The results of the action were Dane got a little poisoned, and well, Ni- Nigel, 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 yeah. got a little Nigel poisoned. Bruce got got Third. poisoned, and uh, had it resulted in the party calling off their investigation and going back to their rooms to to recover and do well, some. You know, I mean, we just. Then we bungled our investigation. Rules, yeah. And then it's like, I feel sick. Let's get out of here. Right. But at that point, the whole party knows that Enzo took an action against another player. But we also didn't know that, like, he was immediately on the bad guys team. We just thought he was kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, still something secret. And for sure that you, like, you know, shouldn't trust this guy. But this is where the, like, the primary issue of metagaming right. comes so, in. So I rolled to see if I noticed mm-hmm. that he did it. I failed. Right. So it would have been poor sportsmanship. And, like, you know, that's what we're talking about after we finish going over, you know, the, the play-by-play here. Because mm-hmm. uh, if I had just attacked him... Which I definitely wanted to, right? Because mm-hmm. me, Dane, I know like someone that stabs Enzo's you, character or fucking hit you. <laughs> but Nigel, Nigel didn't. So I had to, I had to play it cool. Right. So what followed after that is we went back, uh, and Nigel was feeling a little sick, so he took a bath. And, oh, hey, what's this little, like, you know, raised, like, you know, welt here? Yeah, what do I It's like someone poked me, and I'm like, and then one of our other players was, uh, like, a aboriginal shaman. So I was like, hey, what's this look like to you? Is this, mm-hmm. like, a bug bite or something else? And Did then, some, like, medicining and... and... And the intention there was if the other player rolled good enough to investigate the wound, he'd be like, oh, it looks like it's a dart. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Like, oh, you got hit with a dart, mm-hmm. and it was this poison. That's why you feel this way. And then you yeah. know, like, oh, someone got you with a dart. Did someone shoot you from the dark? Or, uh, you know, right. did someone but in the group poke you? The roll didn't go very well, so it was just like, bug bite. Mm-hmm. Bummer. And I think that's kind of, like, that's the upshot of the story. Rolls could have gone a little bit differently, mm-hmm. and uh, Nigel... And the rest of the party might have known or discovered some different stuff. But the way it shook out, Mm -hmm. you guys didn't know what had happened. And Mm -hmm. so had no reason to distrust Enzo's character aside from just like the general level of Mm -hmm. caginess that goes on at a... a... As as the story went on, Enzo made more and more actions, you know, out in the open, you know, that were pretty sus, right? So... By the time it's the in game and we're we're coming down to it, we know he's pretty sus, and we still don't exactly know which team he's playing for and what his whole game is. So, right, if you're keeping track, when it when Enzo attacked me, poisoned me, I did a roll to see if I noticed it, failed it, so couldn't act on it then. I did another investigation kind of check 
when I took a bath and like, all right, let's see if we can figure this out. Failed it again. So I still couldn't really act on it. Mm-hmm. So one of, one of Nigel's uh, cool things about him is he has a dog, Angus. Nigel and Angus, little, little Australian shepherd, um, as like my animal companion. So when shit hits the fan and we're just blasting cultists, right? Like the ruse is over. Yeah. We're killing. Eventually, yeah, it got to a point where it's just a shootout and running around the manor. So Nigel kind of holds the room while the other two players go up the creepy staircase to fight the vampire. And he's like, I'll take care of the cultists here. So he's in a shootout with these two cultists. I blast one. And then, oh, Enzo's character comes back and kills the other one, like, in the doorway. So, like, here's my moment. Here's my moment. I know Enzo's character is a shady piece of shit and, like, sus to the max. So, I, I say, Game Master, I want to do uh, a perception. Angus, if Angus growls at Enzo's character who just, like, came in the door and killed a cultist... Angus susses him out, I blast. Right? So, guess what I rolled? A natty 20. That was pretty cool. And, yeah, so the conceit of that was, like, basically, depending on how good the roll was, I was going to change the story one way or the other and be like, yeah, your suspicions are confirmed. Because at that, up until that point, hadn't been able to really act against Enzo's character. Mm-hmm. Players at the table know that Enzo's character is villainous. He still kept his motivation secret, but all the players know that he's done wicked things throughout the course of this adventure. He's just done them out of sight of the player characters. And like good sports, Dane and the rest of the party, you know, they... They never described their characters acting in a way against Enzo's character. Like, you know, much as they might have wanted to. Mm-hmm. They were like, well, they wouldn't know this. Why would they know this? They wouldn't do anything. They wouldn't take any direct action against this character. Because they, even though I know, because it happened at the table, they don't know any of the things that he's done. So, turned out that, uh, yeah, Angus growled. And so I blasted a shotgun blast off and killed Enzo's character, and he was pretty peeved about it. But uh, I don't think I don't think it was bad. I think it was good sport, uh, a good way to metagame because you know, yeah. Then it turned out that he was a familiar for the vampire we were trying to kill. Probably would have caused some problems if I had let him live and go up stairs to where my buddies were fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, maybe it was just. So the way it worked out, right, I lucked out on an Addy 20. But in the story, Angus could have just been, my dog, could have just been, you know, in a high-tension situation where we're blasting off, you know, shotgun shells and pistols and, like, you know, people are getting killed and, like, oh, new person, mm-hmm. growl. But, you know, and that was just the thing about Nigel's, yeah, when Angus gets upset, he fixes it. Slash, you know, follows Angus's lead because he's a dog. Dog. The dog. You dog. Anyways, so, so, sportsmanship. Metagaming and sportsmanship. And that 
you know, going back to what I said before, Matt Colville's video on this subject, he he goes he goes heavy on the idea of sportsmanship, and I think that's my biggest takeaway from this story as well. The idea of metagaming is using information that you know, but that your character wouldn't, to you know make unreasonable decisions to gain an unfair advantage. If you consider what your player character knows, you might not do those things. Or, you know, in in a more mundane sense, maybe you've read the Dungeon Master's Guide or mm-hmm. the, uh, the Monster Manual. So you know what a Beholder does. Would your character, though? That's a good question. Maybe they do. So maybe you can act with some of the information that you have. But maybe they have no idea. And then it's a challenge a gameplay role-playing challenge to be a good sport about what you do and do not think a character would know and what they would have access to. Um, I think we'll get into this in some other episodes, but um, sharing information in your party is really great. Mm-hmm. And like you know, if there's ways you can do that, because like in Dungeons and Dragons, there's like the the like message stones and the message cantrip. And yeah, shit. I forget like what all the things are, but I you know, there's I, a I, lot of different ways that fit into the game mechanics to share information. So like, let's go back to that first example. Uh, you know, when I outlined what metagaming was, you guys are in a dungeon. The party splits up. The sneaky rogue goes off and enters the room that you guys are about to enter through a different door. Mm-hmm. And the rogue sees a bunch of bad guys stacked up on the door that you're about to walk through. What can the rogue do? Send a message. Mm-hmm. I send a message to my party that says, guys are stacked up. And if not, you know, if there's no way of communicating and you know the rest of your party is like, oh, well, we don't go in. There's guys on the other side. You got to remind them. Mm-hmm. Like, Okay, so he but knows you don't that. Know that he yeah. knows that, but do you know that? This is what you see. Mm-hmm. Make a decision about what your character would do based on the information that they actually have. So I think, yeah, as as a game master, to keep uh, keep the players good sports, um, don't feel bad about stepping in and reminding them about like, now hold on, I don't think that action works because you don't know that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the the information you're using to make that decision, you don't have it, actually. You don't have. So, yeah. make a different decision. And maybe it comes out the same, right? Like, because you, you uh, think about it and like, oh, well, you know, maybe mm-hmm. my guy just doesn't like busting through doors. Yeah, maybe so that's just not how they do. The door. He's checking for, like, trip wires right. anyway, and so he kind of discovers right. them in his own time. But, you know... The the bottom line really is sportsmanship, right? And i i never had to I never had to reinforce that idea with you or the rest of our party. Everyone hated Enzo's character, <laughs> like in their chair on the couch. Everyone hates Enzo's character, and everyone's like, "Oh, you fucker!" And Enzo's, you know, like gleefully being like, uh-huh. "Yeah," but on the table. The characters don't know each other, or they don't know what everyone else is up to, and they don't know everything that everyone else knows. And like good sports, 
They always acted in accordance with the information that their characters had, not the information that they had mm. off the table in the room. And that's the thing we want to strive for, I think. And that's the thing as a game master mm. you want to reinforce. And because metagaming can be a good thing, right? Like the example we talked about, it was a good, like, we didn't end up dealing with like two threats, right? Because I neutralized Enzo's character mm -hmm. by blasting him with a shotgun in one shot. It was great. It resulted in a way better, you know, thing that did climax in a final yeah. shootout. And mm -hmm. for the rest of that time, even though at the table everyone knew Enzo was evil, or, you know, like us as players, we knew, mm -hmm. you as players, me as the game master, we knew he was evil. Characters on the table did not know. So we went through the rest of two sessions, the rest of that session and the next session, which was the final session of the adventure, um, you know, acting in accordance with the information that we had, which was, you know, no conclusive proof that this guy is evil, no matter how much we may suspect we or, you know, know, know outside of the game. And so Enzo got to do his stuff. Mm -hmm. And so Enzo still got to, like, leave the party and then, like, pass me notes about what his character did while he was, you know, off in a different part of the house. And I think it worked really well. Not always a bad thing. Metagaming has a very negative connotation. Mm -hmm. But, it, like, yeah, it definitely can make um, the story better um, just because... When you use, right, because that's just like what our brains do. They love getting information and like using it, right, fitting the, the puzzle pieces together. Yeah. Right. So just like as a player, definitely like check yourself and be like, is this too much? Am I putting too many pieces together too soon? How is, how can I put the pieces together in a way that fits into the story? Yeah. Like, you know, roll investigation checks, roll history checks, uh, you know, look around. Um, think about, like, maybe there's some gaps in player backstory mm -hmm. that, like, oh, why do I know that, like, trolls are susceptible to fire? I don't know. Maybe you read a book about it yeah. in your youth. And ask those questions because that can, I mean, it can, it can really prompt, like, deeper, more involved role playing. Right? Because then, you know, now... Your you know, character like, was a reader in their youth. Right. So there's like, a oh, lot huh. of the doors to unlock there. How do I know that? Well, I read mm -hmm. a thing. And like, okay, when did they read it? And now suddenly, like, you're thinking about, um, as a player, mm -hmm. you're thinking about why your character is this way. You're you're flushing out who they are. You're you're writing their backstory. You're filling in gaps and, you know, enriching the overall experience. Which, I would say is uh, the whole point of this show. That's the whole reason we talk about this stuff. We want to make uh, the game better for everybody. We want to enrich. Yeah, we want to enrich everyone's role-playing experience. And I hope we did that a bit today. Well, let's, let's just recap real quick mm -hmm. to make sure that we did. All right, so metagaming is using information that you have as a player that your character doesn't to gain an unfair advantage. Mm -hmm. um, or to make well, unreasonable decisions. Unreasonable decisions. Um, 
But that's like the bad sort of metagaming. You mm-hmm. can metagame and still be a great role player as long as you're a good sport about it. Yeah. All right, and that cuts both ways. For for example, like, you know, Enzo was pretty, uh, you know, thicked off about, oh, well, you just get blasted. Uh, I feel like, uh, you know, I did my due diligence. I tried three times to figure it out. I mm-hmm. failed two of them. It just so happened that the one that, uh, you know, was in the conclusion was the one that worked. So That was a real smiley, yeah. sort of like the dice smiling on our game moment because if it was like a novel or a fucking movie or mm-hmm. like the, you know, finale of a show about uh, a, a cult in Australia, a big shootout and like the final death of someone who'd been like menacing the players because like as the audience, mm-hmm. the players were kind of the audience in that situation yeah. and their characters are the characters in the show. They know the whole time that Enzo's being evil, but their characters can't act like they know. He finally got his comeuppance when he tried to join the fight and, you know, mm -hmm. took a bullet. So, you know, and that goes for the Game Master, too. If the players kind of figure out, like, what the puzzle is or whatever, like, before you wanted them to, you know, as long as you as a Game Master were kind of checking them, there's nothing to be mad at. It's like, you know, if they figured it out for good role-playing reasons like oh my yeah. player read they're a like, book when he, in his in his youth mm-hmm. they're like okay whatever, you know right? yeah that's fine because that you know that makes the experience better makes the uh the confrontation more dramatic mm-hmm. and and satisfactory because it's impossible to avoid yeah like it's all it's gonna come up eventually stuff like that is always gonna happen so just like as the game master move stuff along when you need to Sometimes, you know, remind your characters, like, oh, would a character do that? Don't be afraid to say no. Do they know that? Or do you know that? Give a no but, right? No, you don't know that. You can't do that. But But, this is what you do know or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, be a good sport because it's impossible to avoid. You're just going to you know, have to figure out how you want to deal with it as a game master and how you deal with it as a player because it's going to come up. There's a little bit more to it than that. We we talked all about it, but I think the uh, you know the punchline of it is be a good sport when you're playing because it's a game that you're all playing together, trying to have fun. Put it up on the board. Be a good be a good f- sport. fucking sport. Eh? Anyway, I think that about does it for this episode of Two Headed Game Master. You can find our stuff, including uh, the Eclipse Engine, for free, free. at 2hgm.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, our email is also on there. If you want to give us feedback yeah. or suggestions for episodes, love to hear from you. Any contact or feedback, we love it. Uh, we have a Patreon link as well. Patreon. If you uh, like what we do, you want to support. Be um, our first supporter. Yeah, it's be our still first, up for grabs. I don't think we have one yet, still which is fine. It's well, I guess fine. I'm not mad. We don't have one at the time of recording, which hmm. maybe changes when this comes out. Yeah. But probably not. You don't know when we're recording this, and I don't know when you're going to listen to it. <laughs> we don't record it and then, like, put it up. Just, I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, but that's about it. Uh, join us next time for another episode of Two-Headed Game Master. And thank you to the Burning Saviors for the use of their song Pond Hill is Finest as the intro and outro for our very fun podcast. I think that about does it. See you next time. See ya.